Cultural Affairs Radio Magazine, produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. This show is produced, engineered, and hosted right here in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, also known to settlers as the East Bay Area. Tonight, we introduce us. We're First Voice Apprentice Group 43, Trilongso Rising, and we're taking over soonish. Please, don't tell Group 42. Thank you. So, tonight... We will show you where we're coming from and where we plan to go from here, and we'll share some great music with you. All that tonight on Full Circle. We're your hosts tonight in Alpha Radical Order. Kenny C., Stevie G., Arya Moshirian, Mari Nakagawa, and Sharon Peterson. Welcome back to Full Circle on 94.1 FM KPFA. We're your hosts, Group 43, a.k.a. Dry Long So Rising. Before we jump into our stories, we want to share with you the meaning behind our chosen name. Here's Stevie G with the history. As mentioned earlier, Dry Long So is an old African-American term meaning ordinary people. You're now current hosting apprenticeship group, 43 has adopted and adapted the term to describe all of the ordinary folk. Rising quite simply means sloping upwards. So the folk, the people, all of us are moving to greater heights. We are Dry Long So Rising at your service. This melting pot of ours is here to stay. Stay tuned. Wake up everybody, no more sleeping in bed. No more back to thinking, time for thinking ahead. The world has changed so very much from what it used to be. There's so much hatred, war and poverty. Oh. If our voices sound familiar, it's because we've been popping up on various shows after the over the past several weeks. But now, let's get acquainted for real. Amidst the many topics we've been covering, a primary focus has been immigration and the separation of families. So, tonight, as we introduce ourselves, we'd like to share stories of our own family's journeys to this land and our experiences living here. First up, Arya Moshirian. Arya is an educator teaching our elders how to keep fit through diet and movement-based exercises like Qigong and yoga. He is here to pay homage to all the revolutionaries that came before and hopes to bring healing to the multitudes. I'm from a place that was raped by British tyrants for what lies under the earth is our blessing and our curse. Where generations before me love James Bond, incognizant of the fact that they have been colonized 
yearning to own European luxury items, striving to be like the imperialists that glorified life of avarice and debauchery. Posh lifestyles at the expense of the majority of people on this planet. From a place now where, in modern times, we learn to hate ourselves, thinking plastic surgery will make us worthy of another person's love, falsely thinking we will be accepted. From a place where we lie to ourselves and think that we are superior to the surrounding border countries that were carved up by oil barons and rapists. From a place where little children slave making rugs until they go blind and their hands become deformed so that we can boast and walk on something believing that we are a sign of success. I'm from a place where revolutionaries are impaled with their genitals stuffed in their own mouth. I'm from a place where good-hearted people rot in prison, receiving beatdowns because they believe their brothers and sisters should be able to live a life of dignity. From a place now that fills its prisons with revolutionaries and freedom fighters. I'm from a place where the youth is very educated, yet they find themselves impoverished. From a place where POTUS 45 has branded a nation of 80 million as a terrorist nation. It must have slipped my mind that it was the Islamic Republic of Iran that dropped the A-bombs on Japan. It was the military conquest and occupation of Iran in Vietnam. The French and Americans had nothing to do with it. I mean, damn. It makes me realize how kind the French and Americans have been to the people of Haiti. Pardon my caustic tone. As an immigrant growing up in the Bay Area, I hear the racist epithets reverberating and pounding in my eardrums. I remember the older white boys beating up on my Yemenese and Indian friend along with myself chanting, let's get them. It's the Americans versus the Indians. They called me Saddam and Camel Rider before I really knew what that meant. I was an adolescent. At 35 now, I've been called the dirty Arab and a Sandrigan. That I should take my big nose back where I came from. Now, I'm in a place where U.S. military drone controllers refer to Pakistani civilians as bug splats. Where the U.S. military poses in pictures with my Iraqi brothers naked, piled on top of each other, being humiliated by military dogs that are trained to rape people. I'm now in a place that is a staunch supporter of Israel, where Rachel Maddow refuses to acknowledge the Israeli occupation of Palestine. I'm now in a place where there seems to be amnesia when it comes to the indigenous holocaust of the Americas, where their books use the euphemism colonial settler. In a place where Anglo overseers operate with impunity, murdering Africans and are severely punished with paid leave in case the pig is a bit shaken up. In a place now where the governors, mayors, judges and police gather around hiding behind white sheets in a place now that bans the travel of Somalians, Syrians, Yemenis, Iranians, and Libyans, and some Venezuelans. In a place where immigrants refer to other immigrants as immigrants? How paradoxical. How gut-wrenching when toddlers are ripped apart from their parents at the border, only to be caged and drugged. What will happen to them? I can't help but to think what they've already done in prior situations like this. I can't help but to think of the School of the Americas. I can't help but to think of the Nazi concentration camps and not just the Jews, but its forerunners and Namibia, where slave labor and cruel experimentation brutalized Africans. I'm now in a place where truths are lies and lies are truth. 
in a place now where middle-class reactionaries tell me I'm obsessed with talking about racial inequalities, where privileged white people are offended if the rest of us wish to also enjoy the same rights as they do. Well, let me tell you, my people are beautiful, intelligent, and proud, just like every other human being that breathes on this planet. The vast majority of my people love the American people. We just don't love the deep state and the clandestine operations. We don't love how the United States panders to the villains in the Middle East. Iranians remember when the U.S. supported Saddam, when he used sarin and mustard gas on hundreds of thousands of our countrymen, women, and children. But still, we are part of the so-called axis of evil. Why don't you take a look at what Anthony Bourdain said about my people? I'm from a place that will kill you with hospitality, where breaking bread together is our everything, where we would trade our lives for our children at the drop of a dime, where poetry takes angelic flight off of our parents' lips, vibrating into our souls as babies, connecting our spirits and loving each other with the mighty wisdom of Ahuru Mazda, respecting and recognizing the beauty and intricacies of all life forms. Brothers and sisters, friends, I feel ire towards the dictatorial theocratic regime of my mother country. And I'm full of indignation from the institutionalized racism and white supremacy that the powers that be impose on us here. During these exigent times, we will reach within to develop our inner divine. Fear not death, because that moment will pass. Fear not fighting for the wretched when you had your chance. And the lobby, Hamishé. Welcome back to First Voice Media's Full Circle Show here on KPFA 94.1 FM. That was Aria Moshirian. Thank you, Aria, for sharing those powerful thoughts. <laughs> uh, much love, family. Uh, I believe we all need to acknowledge things that have happened in order to begin the healing process collectively. And we'll talk more about the stories we're hearing at the end of the set. But for now, let's move on to Kendall. Thanks, Aria. In the spirit of acknowledging those who came before and paved the way so that we could be here today, I'd like to introduce myself via my grandfather, Martin Hertz. Here's his story. When they were born, when my dad was born, when my mom was born, they actually lived in Austria-Hungary. It was the Austrian Empire. After World War I, they took a lot of the Austria-Hungary land and carved it out and made it into Poland. So they wanted to leave uh, Poland at that time to, uh, well, they just wanted a better life, have a better life for themselves and their future kids and also for their family. So they brought the whole Hertz family. Actually, it was the Hertz, Herzlich family when they left the old country. And sometime after they'd been here 10 or 15 years, they changed the name from Herzlich to Hertz. 
Herzlich was a tough name to say and to, to spell, so Hertz became much easier. My dad came over in 1920 on a ship from Trieste, Italy. He came over with his brother and his cousin vouched for them. Immigrants at that time, when they came into the United States, had to be supported. And about two years later, my dad sent for his younger brother and his father, and they came over. And two years after that, they, they got my grandmother and Aunt Louise and Aunt Sally, and they brought them over. And in 1928, my mother came from Trieste to Cuba, to Havana, and my dad went to Havana, and they got married in Havana. Ellis Island was still open. They had to come to Cuba because they had changed the immigration laws, and somehow or another, if you were married, that person could come in with you if you were a citizen. And my dad was a citizen by that time. They were childhood sweethearts, so it was very difficult for her to remain in Dynef, which is a town in Poland now, when all, everybody else in the Hertz family was being brought over, and she had to wait that long, seven years. I don't know many women who would, who would wait that long. My dad and his brother went to work in a shoe factory in New York in 1920, and by 1924 they, they owned the shoe factory, and they were doing very well, and then in 1929 depression came about and wiped them out. They were able to find a job in Chicago where they opened up a shoe repair shop. And the CEO of Capitals in Oakland was shopping in, in the Marshall Field store and saw the, uh, the shoe repair shop that my dad and his brother were operating and thought that would be a good service for Capitals. So he hired them to come to Oakland to start a shoe repair shop. We had an employee by the name of Willie who drove, uh, it was a big Nash, drove the car from Chicago to Oakland. So we got to Oakland, I guess, sometime in 1932. I was two or three years old. And that's kind of the story of the Hertz family. My parents spoke Yiddish, but they went out of their way to speak English. And of course, I went through the, the Oakland school system, went to grammar school at Lakeview, Westlake as a middle school, and Oakland High. My mother kept a kosher house, and I remember at Passover bringing a matzah sandwich to school as my lunch. It was a fun time growing up. Oakland was a wonderful town as a young man growing up. I have some very fond memories of Oakland. 
in the spirit of honoring our ancestors and giving space for their stories, I'd like to take a minute to explore the metaphor of the shoe repair business. Shoes, that which enables us to walk through this life. The footprint in the sand or perhaps upon the pavement, which records the ever-winding paths we trod through this world, difficult or easy as they may be. Shoe repair, the business of bringing new life and value to the old and broken and forgotten. In essence, a healing practice, the family business. What we choose to revive and share speaks to what we value. And what's more valuable than our stories, our collective journey made up of all our unique paths. For in the end, they are all we have. Everyone has a story. This is humanity. And so I hope to support the storytellers before me, the storytellers with and beside me, and to feed the storyteller within me as well. I hope to work towards giving all who I engage with the space to express themselves in their own voices and in their own time. For we are all resilient and all worthy of a better life, as my grandpa says. Welcome back to Full Circle, right here on 94.1 FM, KPFA. That was Kendall Krako sharing some of her family history and also some of her thoughts on her family's journey to this land and how they survived. Thank you, Kendall. Snaps. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. I just want to say that I have immense gratitude for this opportunity to share with you beautiful people and also to further my own healing and our collective healing through creative self-expression. It is everything. So we have one more story of migration. Mari, where are your folks from? Thanks, Kendall. So I'm Yonsei, which is fourth generation Japanese, in my case, Japanese American. My grandparents came from Osaka and Kyushu to settle and resettle many times over in California. There are migrant farmers in and around the San Jose area, as well as Hawaii and Ventura County. And of course, in 1942, they were uprooted from their homes and communities and sent to internment camps or concentration camps in the deserts of Arizona. I think every Japanese American has 100 stories about the camps, but the story I'm gonna to tell tonight is actually a love story. It's the story of how my grandparents met. It happened after internment, but like my dad told me recently, they're all stories about internment. Internment was the pivotal point in my grandparents' lives. It decided the road they would take, for better or worse, or for both, because the separate paths that sent them on would eventually intersect. So here's their story. In 1944, World War II was nearing its violent end. Japanese Americans imprisoned in camps were able to apply for early release, but you needed a sponsor and they needed to be away from the West Coast. My grandpa Hank was working as a mechanic in the Poston concentration camp. Not long earlier, one of the guys he worked with had successfully petitioned for release. He'd gotten a job at an auto shop in Milwaukee, and they had sponsored his relocation, to use the government phrase. So Hank applied. 
He got the job and packed his only suitcase before hopping on a train. He rode from Poston, Arizona to Chicago, Illinois, sitting in a corner seat, trying to make himself look as small as possible. In Chicago, he caught his connection to Milwaukee, where he settled in a small German neighborhood. His new neighbors could relate to the stigma that arises from looking like the enemy. Hank says they welcomed him. He even learned to speak German. 45 years later, he and my pop would take a trip to Sebastopol. They got separated, and when pop finally found Hank, he was speaking German with a young couple. Where did you learn to speak German, pop asked. In Milwaukee, Hank said. Wisconsin was the coldest place Hank had been in his life, but he was making do. Not long after he arrived, he befriended a young couple named Mitch and Helen Yamamoto. Mitch and Helen had met in Gila River concentration camp, about four hours east of Poston, where Hank was imprisoned. And because at the time no one knew when or if they were getting out, the two had married in the camp. How they got acquainted with Hank, we don't exactly know. Though my family jokes it was because they were the only other Japanese people in Milwaukee which is probably true. Mitch and Helen liked Hank. He was cool. He worked on cars and motorcycles and had this classic Japanese gangster haircut, slicked back with a few pieces falling over the center of his forehead. And they liked that he always had a car. He could give them rides whenever anything important came up. When they had their first son, Paul, Hank drove them to the hospital. Also in town that February for Paul's birth, was Helen's sister, Lily. Lily had relocated to New York after the camps. Her younger sister, Alice, had been accepted to Columbia University. And the two were sponsored by a good-willed New York woman who took in Nisei women. So, in February 1946, I imagine speeding off to the hospital with Mitch and Helen in the back seat, Hank meets Lily. And Lily meets Hank. And when she goes back to New York, they keep up a correspondence. A few months later, Hank takes a train to New York. He proposes at the top of the Empire State Building. They get married at Niagara Falls. And that's pretty much the story, or that part of the story. They moved back to Milwaukee, had my pop. Three years later, they finally returned home to California. Ten years had passed since they were forced to leave. When the evacuation order had come down, Lily's parents entrusted their strawberry orchard to a white neighbor. And by some force of sheer luck, or maybe the simple goodness of people, the men returned the orchard when they came back. It was in shambles. Squatters were squatting there, and someone had graffitied Japs go home on their house. But they made it work, and they were lucky. My pop became the first in his family to go to college. He moved to Berkeley, and here I am. In so many ways, I think it's the story of immigrant families in the U.S. My grandpa was the first in his family to be born in this country, and his parents didn't speak English, so they named him after the doctor who delivered him, Henry. Many families have similar stories, but I don't want to celebrate or whitewash them as quintessential American stories, as if the persecution of immigrants and ethnic minorities in this country is acceptable and benign. What happened to my grandparents and their parents should not have happened. And yet, to this day, it continues.
Welcome back to Full Circle on KPFA, Pacifica Radio 94.1, right here in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory. You just heard Mari Nakagawa sharing her grandparents' unlikely love story. Thank you. Yeah. Again, welcome to our intro show. We are Dry Long So Rising, the, 43, the, the 43rd group of First Voice Apprentices here at KPFA since 1985. We want to take a moment to reflect on what we've been hearing. So let's kind of go through some thoughts. I'll start. Um, one thing, I, number one, all of your music choices, I love it. I mean, I, I, I love how they just sort of vibe and move through each piece. It was incredible. It was amazing the way that, that, that all that moved. Um, also, the stories, uh, you, could, you could feel it, you know, so um, it really allowed us to connect. And I definitely was able to connect with each of your stories and what was going on. Um, I, I, I just tip my hat to you again and I enjoy the experience that we've had so far and um, love and looking forward to this year um, so yes I totally second and third Steve on the music and the sound uh, clips the sound effects and for Aria's story which was so intense that simple peaceful musical background contemplative and the content so heavy and deep. All three stories you could feel. You could feel the wrongness and how these people found rightness within it, in spite of it. Yeah, Arya, I really appreciate the way that you called out all these human tragedies in such a poetic way. You had some really beautiful lines. Um, where truths are lies and lies are truths. I just about died when I heard that. And also just the way you acknowledge the way we have immigrants in this country referring to other immigrants as immigrants. Um, and Mari, I think you sort of touched on that too at the end of your piece, which was also just beautiful. Um, just about, um, you know, it's not okay. It is still mm -hmm. happening and it does get glorified and Americanized. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated the way you both called that out. Thank you. Um, I'm Mari, and uh, I was thinking when I was writing my piece and when I was listening to both of yours, just that, um, especially Kendall and mine, someone might listen to them and think like classic American stories of immigrants coming to this country. And I think we throw around that phrase a lot, an American story, without really identifying the common themes of them. And when I really think about it, I'm like racial or ethnic persecution, economic hardship, like... Um, you know, persecution of immigrants. And I think we praise the strength and perseverance of the individuals of these stories without really focusing on the conditions that force them to be so heroic. And so what I love about Aria's piece is you kind of call it all out. Your immigrant, your story of coming here and your story of your family is that story. And it's not just focused on yourself. It's focused on like what was causing it and the root causes. So I think they went, I'm so grateful that they all went together. Yeah. Um, thank you. This is Aria. Um, yeah, I, I'm i so honored to be working with all of you. The the music you put together, the stories you're telling, uh, we our group is so diverse, and um, I think we can kind of tackle everything together, and we know that our liberations tie together across all mm -hmm. shades and colors and ethnicities and all that, so um, we're, we're going to hope to bring about the beauty for everyone out there and share our creativity and help the healing process uh, move forward. 
Absolutely. So now that we've heard from three out of five members of Drylongs Arising, um, we're going to slowly move towards the other two, but first we're going to take a music break, a short chance to breathe, and then hear the stories of Steve and Sharon. So keep it locked on 94.1, and we'll see you in a moment. listening to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA. That song you just heard was Harlem River Drive by Bobby Humphrey. And we are Dry Long So Rising, the 43rd group of First Voice Apprentices. Tonight is our official introduction to you. We are sharing with you some stories of ourselves and our families as we begin to take the helm of the great show Full Circle. Let's get to our next group mate, Sharon Peterson. Sharon has been involved in political activism, but has now turned to radio as a way to help communities raise their voices and make new ideas heard. I'm Sharon Peterson. Hi. And be right back after a short music break. I'm back. The music is Moana Chimes, performed by Makana. I'm Sharon Peterson, and now, a shout-out to my mom. Mom was deeply into radio as a student at Antioch College in Ohio. The school boasted a radio club with a small broadcast station. Mom was a fine, classically-trained musician, but for her, radio was all about theater. She would have loved the possibilities of podcasting. Yet, I suspect she would still have relied on old-school sound effects made by objects taken from a big box or a small closet. Heck, if I had storage, I'd do the same. When Mom was in her mid-40s, she returned to radio for a time as a DJ at a startup Hawaiian music station in Honolulu until the station shut down. 
She went on from there, kept on making her own music, singing and soloing with various choirs while working full-time day jobs. I did not inherit a whole lot of mom's musical talent, but she did manage to give me a love of music and of pure sound. give props to mom's father, my granddaddy. He left us just before my fourth birthday, but I still remember him a bit. And of course, over the years, stories kept on being told. Granddaddy was an MD, a product of Howard University Medical School in the late 19-teens. But just possibly because he was a doctor of color, it took him a few years to fully establish himself and set up a practice. So to make ends meet, he did a few odd jobs. One as an occasional chauffeur and delivery driver in New York City. He would transport people and, on occasion, unmarked wooden crates in the early 1920s, when something called prohibition was in force. In later years, whenever this slice of personal history somehow popped up, Granddaddy would always say he never had any idea what was in those crates. We can say with great confidence that all of his deliveries were successful. Otherwise, you probably would not be hearing this. Youthful endeavors aside, Granddaddy did become a law-abiding, highly respected physician and surgeon and a licensed pharmacist as well. He was also born with a wide-ranging mind and a deep awareness of society's benefits and ills. He was very social. He loved amusing parties and deep conversation alike. He also loved reading, all kinds. He was voracious. Many of the people he deeply conversed with were very much into politics. We're not necessarily talking Democrats or Republicans, though he talked to them too. We do know that Granddaddy was careful not to join any socialist or communist groups or any organizations that could be even slightly seen as a rosé. He was never a card-carrying member, but he did know some people, and he attended meetings where he obtained literature, and somehow word got around. This was the early 1950s, when a little political practice called McCarthyism was quite the rage. He was neither arrested nor hauled before any congressional tribunals, but the Internal Revenue Service did latch on to him and dogged him anyway, as was their custom especially during much of the Cold War. Granddaddy never apologized for his intellectual or ideological explorations. So, from Mom, Granddaddy, and actually pretty much all of my elders, I inherited a deep love of books and music and thought and knowledge. But from Granddaddy in particular, I inherited a strong tendency, okay, maybe more like a compulsion, to ask difficult questions and to seek real answers, not just platitudes, even then, perhaps especially when it's more than a little inconvenient. Sounds like all of us in Dry Lawns Rising. Before we return to Group 43, here's some more of Duke Ellington and his Harlem Flat Blues.
Welcome back. This is Full Circle, live on KPFA 94.1 FM. That was Sharon Peterson talking about the closest ancestral influences that brought her to KPFA's First Voice Apprenticeship Program. Next. So now we have one apprentice left. Last, but certainly not least, the biggest voice in the group, Stevie G. Hey, hey, everybody. My name is Steve Grievous, but please feel free to call me Stevie G. Uh, I'm a father, technologist, uh, sports and music enthusiast, comic book fan, and I am humbly at your service for the next number of months with love in my heart and all Oakland sports teams on my back. That's the Raiders, the Warriors, the A's, and no team is leaving. At least that's my dream. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this piece is historical uh, involving slavery and the African American uh, the African American experience um, here. Uh, first up is Mr. Fountain Hughes, uh, who through the Library of Congress in 1949 was recorded on June 11th discussing his memories as a slave. Uh, we will end with Frederick Douglass and how impactful uh, one of his most famous uh, speeches and just the statement in response to July 4th celebration here in America. And that was delivered on July 5th, 1852 in Rochester, New York. Mr. James Earl Jones will recreate this moment for us. We were slaves. We belonged to people. They sell us like they sell horses and cows and hogs and all like that. Have an auction bench and put you on up on the bench and beat on you, the same as beating on cattle, you know. Was that in Charlotte that you were a slave? Hmm? Was that in Charlotte or Charlottesville? That is in Charlottesville. Charlottesville, Virginia. Sell the women, sell the men. Oh, they'd... And then if they had any bad ones, they'd sell them to the nigger traders, what they call the nigger traders, and they ship them down south. They sell them down south. You could just lock me up. Nah. Just bury me in the ocean with my ancestors that jumped from ships. Because they knew death was better than bondage. I must mourn. To drag a man in fetters into the grand illuminated temple of liberty and call upon him to join you in joyous anthems or in human mockery and sacrilegious irony. Do you mean, citizens, to mock me by asking me to speak today? What to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days of the year the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is a constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham. Your boasted liberty, an unholy license, your national greatness, swelling vanity, 
Your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless. Your denunciation of tyrants, brass-fronted impudence. Your shouts of liberty and equality, hollow mockery. Your prayers and hymns, your sermons and thanksgivings, with all your religious parade and solemnity, are to him mere bombast, fraud, deception, impiety, and hypocrisy. A thin veil to cover up crimes that would, it, that would disgrace a nation of savages. There's not a nation of the earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of these United States at this very hour. At a time like this, scorching irony, not convincing argument, is needed. Oh, had I the ability and could reach the nation's ear, I would today pour forth a stream, a fiery stream of biting ridicule, blasting reproach, withering sarcasm, and stern rebuke. For it is not light that is needed, but fire. It is not the gentle shower, but thunder. We need the storm, the whirlwind, the earthquake. The feeling of the nation must be quickened. The conscience of the nation must be roused. The propriety of the nation must be startled. The hypocrisy of the nation must be exposed and the crimes against God and man must be proclaimed and denounced. Power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did and it never will. Quote by Frederick Douglass. Welcome back to Full Circle on KPFA 94.1 FM. You just heard Stevie G talking about slavery and freedom. And now? Shall we talk about pieces? Yeah. Well, Steve, I just want to say you did a beautiful job. That was some really powerful words that you just that you just brought into all of our our minds and um, our collective conscious. Um, I think that what you just did was to remind everybody that um, you know to celebrate things like Fourth of July in the traditional way that we do, without the awareness of. Um, basically <laughs> the atrocities that happened, the slaughtering of the indigenous people and um, of the African-Americans, it's, it's really, um, it's ignorant. And I think one of the things that we all really want to do here is to bring awareness and to have continuing conversations about this. So I appreciate you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. This is, it was a joy to be able to get involved with. Yeah, and I'll just say, Steve, thank you so much for that, too, because there's a lot of flag waving that goes along, that goes around all the time that you see. And this, you know, something like that really uh, puts things in perspective because um, that flag goes up, but there's been a lot of pain and suffering because of it. And I'll just also quickly say, this is Aria, by the way. I'll also say that, Sharon, um, when I hear your piece, when you're talking about your grandfather and um, 
what he had to deal with and how humble he was to be so educated, I think that's really reflective of what a lot of immigrants go through where we really um, were really educated, but we just kind of got to sit back and be quiet and sort of stay in our place. But this is just a, a great example of how uh, resilient uh, immigrants are. Totally agree. Um, I'm Mari, and listening to both your stories, um, I mean, it really just made me think of our name, Dry Long So Rising, and how I look around and not calling us, like, boring, but we're all pretty ordinary folks, um, and yet, like, the stories that we have are connected to each other and just to the foundation of this country, and um, they are just so powerful and I think lots of times when we're thinking about um, what kind of shows we want to produce which we'll get into in a little bit we often think about going outside ourselves and looking for other people to bring in to talk to and everything and I'm just so amazed by how much knowledge we have within our group and um, our capabilities of storytelling so I really appreciate both of your stories thanks and I want to add a uh, special thanks to Sharon as well with her story. And I loved hearing about Howard University. I have a lot of family members who've graduated from the institution as well. But one of the things about Howard University that I recognize, especially for those from the medical school, is that uh, Howard was that institution that made sure there was an option when there were no options. Mm. Okay, it was so again, the only option. it was the only mm. option. And they made sure that a medical school existed. And so, um, you know, kudos. Uh, your grandfather was amazing, you know, to uh, put up and put through, but then with the dignity to stand at odds in the face of not much support, you know. And um, I always look upon our ancestors in that way. That's why uh, just what Fountain Hughes was talking about, being a slave and uh, surviving, uh, he was 101 years old when he did that recording. Wow. He lived wow. to be 109 years old. Wow. Oh. Uh, so, uh, you know, talk about resilience, as we mentioned. Uh, uh, there, it's, it's, it's always there and it's always a push forward. So, um, an amazing tale. Thank you. Well, thank you, Steve. And uh, I found your historical... Uh, you, you, you found... Just these great voices, and this is not the first time he's done that. Um, so I think he's uh, shaping up to be our historian. And um, I was going to say historian when I was introing your history of Dry Long So Rising, but I didn't know if you would take to that kindly, so I didn't. <laughs> Sorry, it's too late now. Um, and it was really, it was really a rare honor for me to bring some of the family story. Um, and uh, there are some more, that some not as lighthearted, some just silly. But uh, it, was a, it, it was an honor to have that, uh, that, that um, voice. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. And we need to start tying these things back into what's happening today. Right. Oh, I mean, we've yeah, just absolutely. seen what's happened with immigration and, and some of these, again, by um, not understanding our history not by not really understanding that at least it parallels it might not repeat but it definitely parallels mm -hmm. and for each generation there is a challenge to make a statement which is why I'm always encouraged by the Black Lives Matter by the students in mm -hmm. Florida when they get together and they speak up because we need that youthful voice we need that presence and a power base is built from the bottom up mm -hmm. right as any foundation of a strong structure would be from the bottom up so we've got to make sure that we're able to push that 
and uh, add whatever voices and strength we can behind it to make that happen. And that's what KPFA is for, and it's especially what the First Voice Apprenticeship Program is for. And uh, like I said, it's great to have that kind of voice and to help others to raise their own voices. Yeah, I just want to second that here um, at the apprenticeship program. We are all about building community. And I do firmly believe that if change is going to happen, um, it has to happen at a local level, on the community level. And so that's what we're trying to do here. And even just by us coming together and sharing our stories and talking about how, you know, the political is intensely personal Um you know, we're we're already doing it, you know, just to facilitate these conversations. So happy to be here with y'all. Yeah, it's funny. I think a lot of these stories, it was a strange experience writing out this story because of my grandparents. Some parts I knew, some parts I didn't. I had to go um, and hash it out with my dad and he had all these new stories. Um, but without this outlet here at KPFA, I wouldn't have been able to tell that story and it was a really strange experience of of being the medium through which I translated it and and actually like writing my grandparents lives um I like thought about them in a whole new way and was able to really vicariously almost experience them um and yeah I, I think it's awesome <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to just riff off that too. When I was interviewing my grandpa, I mean, I've I've heard bits and pieces of these stories um, throughout my life, but I really never actually sat down and engaged with him one on one and heard the full story. Right? And I'm thirty. I'm about to be thirty years old. Like, so. Anyways, I just wanted to say I think it's so important that you know, with the time that we have here, that we really make a genuine effort to engage and to listen and to just you know give space for people to talk about their experiences. Um. Thanks for the segue, Kendall. <laughs> now we'd like to get, to get into a deeper conversation about how where we come from influences the kind of work we wish to do, our values, the communities we care about and would like to give voice to. The illustrious Fela Kuti joins us on this ride. So I'm here because, well, a certain occupant in the Oval Office despises many of the things I am. A woman of color, not rich, retired, um, a pre-existing condition because I was born. Preach. And uh, so, yeah, he despises me, but somehow for me that wasn't enough. So here I am on the radio. Denouncing. So what I'd like uh, to, to get into uh, for myself is um, just to continue to grow. And, and this opportunity here with the First Voice program. And again, meeting you all as individuals and mm -hmm. to learn about you. So, you know, when we talk about our group and we say Dry Long So Rising, it's been a it's, it's been a forging. Uh, and we spent over a year together at this point. And in that time, I'm learning different perspectives. I'm writing full sentences once again, like I haven't Lord. done in a while versus my outline form of communication. <laughs> so that's been good and interesting to go through that process. It's been fantastic. But there are stories um, and also connecting in a way that maybe I've shied away from. Uh, you know, what I just played there, the piece about slavery, those are painful moments mm -hmm. and experiences. Um, all of it. <laughs> 
to all of it. So uh, hopefully, hopefully, you know, we'll continue to go and grow and start moving through. I can't believe I'm getting close to tearing up. <laughs> Steve, a lot of what you just said um, really resonated with me as well. I'm, I'm here because... Um, you know, I'm an advocate for genuine connection and, and like you said, healing and wellness and growth. And um, um, I just hope that we can cultivate this environment of learning and of listening, of conversing, of reflection. Um, I hope we can be mindful together. I hope we can be aware. Um, and I hope we can do some great work. This is Ari here. Um, while I'm here, I'd like to uh, I've said before to my group and uh, the folks around here, I'd like to light the fire under people's butts and uh, revolutionize everything that we do. Everything from the way we're eating, from the way we're treating each other, um, from the way we deal with things, uh, the real problems of today. So I hope uh, I could try to share my unique strategies and the great, amazing people that are already around right now that um, are great assets that uh, we should celebrate their genius now, right now while they're with us. I'm Mari, and um, I've been saying since the beginning um, that I'm just so excited to develop a voice, um, really a voice to tell stories in a way that's compelling and to communicate with people who have different ways of communicating and to build a community here. And um, I think that's, that's what we're doing first and foremost. We refer to each other as fam all the time. And um, even though we come from completely different corners of the earth it's almost it's pretty crazy um so i'm really excited for what these six months have to hold we're going to be producing this show every friday full circle and we're dry long so rising yeah so again and uh that's a, those are great comments and great statements and great thoughts and feelings that we have and uh are sharing amongst ourselves and uh ari as you mentioned with the you know, those revolutionary thoughts. See, to me, it's every day, every moment. And it's in those simple things. It's how we're relating to one another as human beings. It's uh, how we're taking on the task of what am I going to do for the next generation? I'm a technologist. I got to do something about the kids of the next generation mm -hmm. and helping them out, you know, and uh, doing my part. Uh, the same thing when it comes to the history of what it means to be a black man in America, what it means to be a black man in the world, and understand that black is not necessarily a color, it's a political designation of choice and an action to say what will I will put up with and what I might not want to put up with as I've had to deal with throughout my life whether recently or in the past so I think we just have to keep making these moments and opportunities and trying to grow and through partnership that we have here is really grow our solidarity and bring that next group along because we have a new group with us right group 44 is on board come. now that's right Amen. Yeah. So in addition to denouncing and being your friendly neighborhood Debbie Downer of doom, <laughs> um, I think it's really important to bring in uh, people of different classes, races, communities, neighborhoods who are not being heard and to not just raise their voices, but to come up with solutions. And we may have to fight for any bit of those solutions to be implemented. But the solutions need to be known. 
What's that quote? If they don't make a seat for you at the table, bring your own chair. Mm-hmm. That's right. We're bringing a bench. <laughs> <laughs> and that brings us to the end of our sh- up to the end of tonight's show. So thanks for joining us tonight on Full Circle every Friday evening at 7 p.m. Tune in next week for an interview with ProTap Chatterjee, the author of Varix, a graphic novel about drone warfare and mass surveillance. Check out our website at kpfaapprentice.org for archive shows, photos, and for important links and extended interviews. Our executive producer is Miss M. Our technical director is Free Will and Franklin Sterling. Joy Moore is our production consultant. We've been your host tonight in Alpha Radical Order, Kenny C. Myself, Stevie G. Aria Moshirian. Mari, Mari Nakagawa and Sharon Peterson. Our thanks to Cat Petro on the board. Up next, La Onda Baita. <laughs>